Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. You know, we could, uh, on some mornings, just add another hour, couldn't we, just to worship? How sweet was this time this morning? Um, Yeah. I can tell when I I come in and the team is, uh, uh, there's two indicators that uh, God's going to move in the the auditorium, and, and one of them, when you come in, you see all of our people that are preparing for worship, and and either they're under attack but still smiling, uh, or they just won't get off the stage because they're having so much fun in their preparation. Um, But this is one of those mornings. There's so many things that are going on. Uh, But aren't you thankful for a team that is prepared and has uh, been mindful all during this week, praying up so that they could lead you? Yeah. Very blessed. Uh, You'll notice uh, we have a few things on the stage here. We have an awesome opportunity, and I want you to be able to see these. Uh, there's a, a local group that uh, has made these uh, mummy bags available, down to 25, 35 below uh, bags for people that are living on the streets. And uh, our Be Bold guys are preparing to distribute those uh, and be able to go out in the highways and the byways to be able to minister to people who are stuck in homelessness. And uh, they're looking to uh, add to this number. We'd like to get a a stack. I I think, are we looking still for 150 bags? Is that what we have? Something like that, 150 bags uh, left to get. Um, The group has has made these available for $14, I believe, per bag. So if you want to help with that, even during this uh, Thanksgiving season, we'd love for you to uh, have an opportunity to do that. If you'd like to purchase some of those bags to, to be uh, brought here, those guys will uh, be able to distribute those. And, and I want to say a, a couple of words because uh, we have both our Be Bold guys who are actively going into hard places in our city, and we have an India team who is actively going into hard places in our world And both of them we've commissioned to go out this week and do hard things that many of us don't think about doing. They're going out there, and there have been some who have said, well, why would you go out and hand a sleeping bag to somebody who's living on the street? Doesn't that just trap them in their same experience? It doesn't. One of the things that we've seen is if you are not invited in out of the cold, you tend to stay out in the cold. Amen? You just stay stuck out there. And the invitation to come in out of the cold starts with, can I help you? Can I connect with you? And their greatest need in this weather, when you've already felt ostracized or through your own actions have ostracized yourself from the world, is to have somebody come to you with a cold glass of water, a pair of socks, or a warm sleeping bag and say, brother, sister, don't you know that there is something more? There's a Savior that loves you. There's people who will receive you. We can help you move from here to better. And the invitation is made. We're seeing people come out of homelessness, out of addiction, out of brokenness, and into wholeness with an invitation that starts with a $14 sleeping bag. So we're just asking you to be a part of that. Whether you're helping with a meal or you're helping with a sleeping bag, we see guys advancing. And there are some of you sitting here today who are here because that invitation was made to you, 
and you're no longer an identified patient, somebody that is separated out and no longer alone, you are now with family. Amen? Yeah. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. So we praise God for it. But I do want you to think uh, about these teams and not just think about them. I want you to pray for them, and I don't want you to do the typical Christian pray for them, okay? In other words, don't walk by them today and say, I'm praying for you. I actually want you to go to your knees and pray for them, to spend time praying for these folks as they go out and do the work, and then pray, Lord, what is my part? I had a guy ask me this week, um, and, and this uh, is going to take us to Acts chapter 4. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. If you have those worship Bibles that uh, we bought, the little uh, ESVs, um, we're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, if you still don't have one of those or you have misplaced yours, you can find those back in the uh, Welcome Center back there that we'll have a few extras for you. Um, but what we want you to do is be able to follow along. So turn to Acts chapter 4 uh, with me. And as we're turning there, we're in the story of a man who's actually been healed. Uh, everyone around him is trying to figure out what do you do with this. I had somebody from the India trip come to me and they said, man, I'm, I'm really concerned. What do I do if somebody gets healed on this trip? <laughs> I said, well, you know, don't stop it. <laughs> what do you do if somebody gets healed on a trip? You praise God, that's right. You ought to just praise God because if somebody actually gets healed, that is God that's at work. You can't do that, right? Who here heals at will? I'd like to know you. If, uh, <laughs> really, if you're here, stand up. We've got some work for you. So we don't heal at will. If anybody's healed here today, they're healed by the hand of the living God. And so now we have a group that is struggling with what do you do when somebody gets healed? In particular, what do you do when somebody gets healed and you're an unbeliever? What do you do when somebody gets healed and you are stuck in a religious mode that says that you are the highest order, not God? And what do you do when somebody gets healed and you were just there praising God and it happened? That's all on display in Acts chapter 4. Let's uh, stand and read this response to what was happening in Acts chapter 3. This man is healed. And it says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. How dare they? And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, people, elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, as by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boy, that's a good phrase to underline, isn't it? Anybody say that of you? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they said nothing. They had nothing to say in opposition. And when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For this notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them to speak or not, not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We can't but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Fathers, we take a few moments this morning and we look at this passage and we unpack some thoughts for today. I, I pray that you would help us to be captivated, not just with what happened in that moment. Father, this is shocking. This is surprising. This wasn't an everyday occurrence. This wasn't an everyday claim. This man was actually healed in their midst and everyone knew the man that was healed and all those who saw it were praising you. Evidence that it was a miracle from you. No one was praising a man. They were praising you, the living God. Father, help us to learn from this and help us also to apply in our own lives. What is it that you would have us be about today that would bring praise and glory to you? Energize us to bring glory to your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In... Uh, Thinking about this, um, this message, I was just thinking about whether or not you see other people around us that believe that a miracle can occur. You know, in the United States, we're struggling a little bit in that department. Uh, we're either falling out of the boat on either side. Every single day, all day long, are miracles, and we're trying to find ways to, to take everyday life and turn it into a miracle. And on the other side, there are some who, do, who believe that God did something in the past at one moment or another, but he's never touched us since. What we see in Scripture is that we have a God that can do the miraculous. Amen? Three-quarters of 1,100 doctors that were surveyed, three-quarters of them were convinced that miracles can occur today. It's a percentage that's actually higher than that of the U.S. population in general. So maybe it's not surprising that six out of ten physicians say that they pray for their patients individually. The big issue, however is whether belief in the supernatural occurrences is based on a mistake 
a misunderstanding, fraud, a legend, a rumor, wishful thinking, confirmation bias, the placebo effect, or is it really God? In other words, does a miracle-performing God actually exist? And has he left his fingerprints all over supernatural events throughout history down to the present age? Is he even available to intervene in your life today? 38% of Americans believe that a miracle has happened for them. 38%. That would be sitting in the room almost 4 out of 10 sitting in the room would say, I believe that I've witnessed a miracle or a miracle has happened that I would say could only be attested to God intervening in my life. Around the United States, that's 94,792,000 people who say something supernatural that I cannot explain has happened to me. 55% of physicians believe that they have witnessed a miracle in their practice, something that was not attributable to their therapy or help or the placebo effect, that they've watched God at work. Only 15% of Americans say that there's no possible way God could do anything in the earth or that there's no supernatural at all. And they say, even if we saw something, we wouldn't believe that it was supernatural. Uh, Of that 15%, 40% of those say there's just no supernatural. So I'm going to find some way to disprove what I've just seen. Remember Jesus' statement to, uh, in the parable, uh, even if somebody was brought back from the grave, they would find some way to disprove it. He later would die, be buried, rise again on the third day, and they're still trying to disprove it. 20% of that 15% say that there is only science, and science is now their way of replacing it. But of that, 100% of them said there's no scientific proof that they love anybody, all right? They couldn't prove that love exists. A lot of statistics there. Here's the bottom line. Miracles happen. God still moves. Not in the same way all the time, but we serve a God who can choose to intervene in this world at his will, at his pleasure, And it always will bring glory to himself. The problem for the 15% is not whether or not a miracle has occurred. It's that the miracle points to God, and that's what irritates them. We need to see what is going on in this passage is all about a declaration of what God alone can do and choose to do. He's the one that gets the glory. Three things I want us to see. First, uh, there are three things that this miracle declares and that we still are about today. And the first one is that Jesus saves. As chapter 4 opens up, these men are asked to be quiet. They have been told, you've seen a miracle, great, we've all seen the miracle. 5,000 people are responding to this miracle. And frankly, that irritates us, the religious elite. That's what they're told. I feel like we're losing our place. People no longer look to us for significant things. We think you're disrupting the order. So we're asking you to please stop talking about it. Uh, There is a a guy, Steve Humble, a little while ago. He creates these um, secret rooms and secret doors for homes. We have a picture of of one. Here's one in an actual bookcase. Uh, In this one, uh, they actually have a book that you can put anywhere in your house 
uh, and it has a little switch on the inside of it that has a radio frequency. You can put the book anywhere in your house. If you tilt the book, that door will pop open. Um, another one that they have here is this uh, brick wall. So you come into a room and it looks like there is this brick wall on the back. And, and inside of that, in the back, is a secret escape room that you can get out of the house through that brick wall. Uh, with that one, they had a, uh, it's hooked up to Alexa. So uh, all you have to do is say, Alexa, open sesame. You have to say it with a little trill. And the door pops open and they go through. The problem that they found is not whether or not they can create doors or secret spaces that nobody can identify. They've actually become incredibly creative at this. And if you want to see more evidence of that, you just go to hiddenpassageway.com. That's their website. They have that. He says, though, the greatest problem isn't creating the room. They have genius ways now to be able to disguise a panel or a door and create secrets. They said the problem is the person they build the room for invariably always goes out and tells a neighbor or their best friend or someone else. They're like, you have got to see this. It's the coolest thing. And pretty soon everybody knows they got a secret passageway. In fact, they leave it open just so they can show people. Check this out. It turns out keeping a secret, even one that can keep you alive, is really hard to do if you have good news. Isn't that true? Here is Peter, and he is speaking to them, and he is saying, I've got good news, and you're telling me to tell all of these people, the only one that Jesus can save, the only one that, that, uh, that has the answer is Jesus. And you're telling me to keep that away from folks? He said, this just isn't going to happen. I can't keep it to myself. This is too good to be true. I see a guy that's hurting, and I tell him, Jesus saves. And the guy is walking. He's like, we can't keep that. In fact, he quotes a passage. And he tells them, the one that you rejected is the one that holds all things together. In fact, he quotes a passage that is really uh, important here. It is Psalm 118, 21 through 27. And in Psalm 118, it says, I thank you that you have answered me and you've become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now this comes up multiple times in the storyline. We see this psalm come up over and over again, and there's a reason for that. He, he continues on. He says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day is that? It's the day where it says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He made his light to shine upon us. Now bind the festal sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Go make a sacrifice that will set us free. This is a messianic psalm in Psalm 118, and it comes up three different times in the in, in a more, super important pieces of the plot are surrounding Psalm 118. As they're coming into Jerusalem during that Passion Week, what are the people singing? Psalm 118. It was part of their Hillel. As they were going up, they would be singing this one to another. They're singing this song, and as they're singing it, Jesus is riding in in front of them. They're singing, we bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they're going up into the final um, Passover meal, and they're getting ready uh, to eat those symbols that we have of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
As they were participating in that with Jesus, they were singing songs. And the final song that they would have sang, the final hymn that they would have sang on their way out was Psalm 118. This song that tells them, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now go bind the sacrifice so that we can all be cleansed. Who was the sacrifice? Jesus. He was the sacrifice. The day that the Lord made was the day of salvation. God was in the middle of saving us by putting Christ to death so we'd be set free. And now this song is stuck in their minds. Everywhere that they go, they are hearing this song in their minds. They remember it on the way to Jerusalem. They remember it up there on the mountain. They remember as they're watching his death, burial, and resurrection, as Christ is taking them all the way through the scriptures from the Emmaus Road and forward during that 40 days. He is taking them through the scriptures and showing them, this is how I fulfill all of those. This psalm keeps coming up. And so now Peter just quotes it. He says, I need you to understand this is what is going on. The stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that you said isn't even worthy to be built upon, that it's of no use, is now the one that holds the walls together. The cornerstone was the one when the two walls were brought together and everything was built up, it was put across both walls so that everything would stay standing. He's the one that holds all things together. It isn't amazing how a song or a smell or something can take you back? This time of year is huge for me as we're walking along and we smell just the, the, the leaves that have dropped off and that smell of kind of moldy, decaying leaves for me is heaven. That is Northwest. It smells like steelhead fishing to me. As soon as I do, I, I, there's like a fog that rolls in. Even if it's a sunny day, you can just see the fog from the Pacific Northwest is rolling in. I can smell the river. It feels like I'm back there getting ready to hook into just a monster. Yes, amen. There we go. There's a saved guy in the auditorium. There is something about that smell that takes you to a place and you can almost just picture it. This is what's going on in Peter's head. He's hearing this song over and over again, and it takes him back to those moments as Jesus is explaining who he is to them. And he's saying, this is the one. He is the one that came to save us. How could we stay quiet? He's not just a little something that we've added, a little salt and pepper to the meal. He's looking at these guys who think they're still the big deal. He says, no, Jesus is the entire thing. If we stayed quiet about Jesus, we'd be staying quiet about the hope of the world. The bottom line, they said, was that we don't add Jesus to our plan. We choose Jesus. That's the plan. That's the plan. Jesus saves. But the second thing that we see that this miracle highlighted and that they were forced to deal with is that God speaks. In verses... Uh, 24 and 25, it says, and when they heard it, so they were all uh, released. They went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests, verse 23, and elders had said to them. And it says, and when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now they begin to speak. And what are they praying? They're praying scripture. They haven't gone into some new thinking. They haven't just said, you know what, you know what, God, you did a great job writing the Bible beforehand, but now it's all up to us. We're just going to say deep things. No, here are these men moved by God, and when they begin to be confronted, 
They begin to quote scripture and say to everyone, God is still fulfilling his word. Isn't that profound? I want you to notice two things here. And the first one is that their prayer was focused on scripture. It says, who through the mouth of our father David said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. There's something interesting here is that the disciples' quote of Psalm chapter 2 left the sentence unfinished. But the fulfillment was evident in the room. I've shared this illustration before, but I think it's really helpful. Uh, If I were to start singing, Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, uh, and everywhere that Mary went, you know the ending, right? So here you are with a group of people, and they begin to quote stuff, and they leave something off as if the fulfillment is sitting there right in the room. So you're talking to people who have been singing the songs of Zion, these psalms, all of their life. They knew the next phrase. And the next phrase there is, it says, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What is he saying? You want every single person that is coming up against God right now, everyone that is telling us to be quiet is saying, I don't want to be bound up by God because I like life the way that it is. If you bring Jesus into the mix and we have this guy who is now in control of everything, I am going to lose control. And they get bothered by that. They say, we want to break those bonds. But here is the crazy thing. Every single ruler who said... I don't want to be bound up by Jesus, ends up in a bondage of their own making. This is still true with us today. A prison of our own making is waiting for us when we choose our freedom instead of Christ. Isn't that true? We still find ourselves in bondage, saying, God, I don't want to be bound up by you. I don't want your expectations. I don't want everything that you say I should be about. And we end up in bondage ourselves. But here's the other crazy reversal. Everyone that they wished to bind up, to stop them from speaking, everyone that they said, I would need to bind you up in a bid to prove that they could be autonomous, everyone that they wanted to bind up refused to stay bound. Prisoners, all the way through the book of Acts, they just don't stay in prison. The broken don't stay broken. The sick Don't stay sick. And they're running around saying, wait, 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 stop that. People are going to start loving you guys if you do this. (laughs) Setting people free and all that. The dead don't even stay dead. When the word of God is fulfilled, no one can deny it. You see God on the move putting his name first. The people that are there don't take credit because they know that it is God that's done it. If you get in the way of God's glory, now you're the mess. But they're eager to give God the glory. Why? Because it's so evident that he's done it, and he's done it by fulfilling his word. Their argument then to the high priest is, you know what? We can't listen to you because we're still listening to God. And they're listening to God. Not only was the word of Christ reverberating in their ears, but they are still in the scriptures saying he is still fulfilling his word. They're remembering the words of Jesus and they're remembering the words of God. 
Everywhere they go, they see fulfillment. They, because of following Jesus, end up getting a life sentence from the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees. And yet it is God that is ending the sentences of all those who are in prison and broken and destroyed. God's still finishing sentences today. He's still finishing sentence today. I just want to take a moment right now, and I want you to think, and I want you to actually check this off in your heart, whether or not this is true, and I'm going to ask you to respond. But, but I want you just to first listen and, and see whether or not this is true. Is it possible that you or someone you love has been set free from prison? Just check that in your heart. You or someone that you love has been set free from addiction. Just mark that in your heart. Has that happened? Have you or someone you love been set free from brokenness? And by brokenness, I mean a willful desire to live your own way that has wrecked you, wrecked your marriage, wrecked your business, wrecked your hope. And you got set free by following Christ and turned around. Your life is different. Have you or someone you love been set free from poverty or from homelessness and you can only attribute it to Jesus Christ? Has somebody in here been set free, healed by God from sickness? Now with each one of these, I'm asking you, is there something in your life you say, the only reason that I am here and whole today is because Jesus Christ transform me. If that's the case, I just want you that said, I check that. That was me or someone I love. Just stand right now. If you did that. Folks, I want you to look around. How awesome is this testimony? This is what we do when we testify. Amen. You are saying that you were set free from something by Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Just take a moment and look around at this amazing statement. You are among family who have been set free. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Let's take our seats and let's wrap up with this final thought because here's what happens when they began to testify. The Holy Spirit shook the place. And I don't know if you could feel that. He begins to move and it says, uh, they finished their prayer and... Um, they say, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed, verse 30, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The disciples' prayer was that God would give them boldness while he, God, got the credit. Uh, shaken means to move back and forth, to actually quake. And in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, it says, Thus says the Lord God, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house then that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to stir the heart of the child of God, and they go out in boldness. 
They were moved to do exactly what it was that God would have them do. Anybody remember those Polaroid cameras? They had the paper that you would take a picture and the paper would come out. And what would you do? You'd shake it, right? You'd shake it until the picture became clear. What's going on right now in this passage is there's a definite picture that God wants them to fulfill. There's something that the church was becoming. And right now in that moment, they are praying to him. They're submitting themselves to the word of God. They're saying, Lord, you're the one that's in charge. And then he shakes the place until the image becomes clear. This is what I want you to do. And then God moves those who are moved by him. Every single one of them that were submitted to God began to go out and to do amazing things. They didn't just sit there and quake. It wasn't a Quaker service, okay? They didn't just stop in that place and shake. They actually were shook to do something. You aren't just saved from something. You are saved to something. Not just saved from your mess. You are saved to good works. God has something for you to be about today that will put his name on display. Some ended up preaching. Some saw the broken and they went out to help. Some opened their homes. Some sold everything that they had. But every single one of them after that moment knew what it was that God would have them do. And they went out and they did it. A real practical question for this morning is what is it that God is asking you, the people who have been transformed and who have marks all over you, where you say, I know that God has touched my life and has transformed me in a way that was his fingerprints. It was he that did it. So now what should I do? What can I do as a response? And you may be even asking this morning, I I don't know what it is. How can I go back and give God glory? Frederick Buechner has a a quote. When somebody asked him, what do I do today? And, And he knew that they were being stirred by the Spirit of God to ask that question. He said, there's all different kinds of voices that'll call to you to different kinds of work. The problem is to find out which one is the voice of God. He says, by and large, a good rule to finding this out uh, is this. He says, the kind of work that God will call you to is one, A, that you need most to do. So the Spirit of God has stirred you to be fulfilled in it. And B, that the world most needs to have done. If you really get a kick out of your work, you might have met requirement A. But if your work is writing TV deodorant commercials, the chances are you've missed the requirement. On the other hand, if your work is being a doctor in a leper colony, you've probably met the requirement. But if you spend most of your time bored or depressed by it, the chances are you've not only bypassed A, the thing that you most need to do, and B, you're probably not helping your patients much either. How do I decide? He says, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The Spirit of God has stirred you specifically to meet a specific need, and he wants you to go out and do that, and your deep gladness will be to meet the world's need there. Why? Because Jesus still saves, God still speaks, and the Holy Spirit still moves. What I'm going to do right now is uh, I'm going to ask AJ to sing, and then I I want you to think about, is there something in your heart that you need boldness for? I'm actually going to ask the Be Bold guys, right after we sing, to come up here. And these are guys who are already going out and doing this. These are guys who are out on the street, and they're going to join us uh, on the ministry team, the pastors that are still here. We're going to 
uh, pray with you. And if any of you say, Lord, I need to know what it is you would have me do. I want somebody to pray that I would be bold. Or you already know in your heart that the Spirit of God has led you to do something. You just have not been bold enough to do it. I'm going to ask you to just come forward and pray with these guys. Allow them to pray for you that you would be bold enough to let God reign. Amen? He wants to still move through a church that is shaken by what he does. Christ is the answer. Amen? Still the answer today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us uh, and that this morning we would have the boldness that only those transformed by you can have. Father, you have created things for us to do. You have for every single one of your children, all of these who stood and said that by your fingerprints there's something that has transformed them. You touched their life and they know for sure that it was you. All of us as your children want to give back. And I pray that you would help us to know specifically what it is you would have us to do. Uh, that our eyes would be focused on you. That you would get the glory. That it would be about you and you alone. But Father, make us bold. Cause us to pray for boldness. To have the energy and the passion that comes from the Spirit of God. Not manufactured by our own heart. Father, we pray that you would be on display in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.